Hi, folks, and welcome. I'm uh, your co-host, Justin Machel, uh, joined by Steve Maxwell, CEO of Highland Ag Solutions. We've got a great show queued up for you guys today. We're going to be talking about uh, coronavirus potential impacts on the fresh fruit and vegetable supply. Uh, you know, with uh, the disruptions to our everyday life in response to the coronavirus pandemic, it's really impacted our ability to you know, conveniently purchase food. Uh, this is immediate yet temporary as manufacturers and grocers uh, rush to restock the shelves. But, you know, thinking about it, it really should make consumers think about the overall food supply, where our food comes from, right? Uh, we should be having these conversations uh, here in our local communities. Uh, the big question that I propose today and, and uh, something we should think about is, is the United States able to feed itself? And if not, why? Uh, and Steve, I want to get your thoughts uh, to kind of open the show uh, with, with that question. And, and well, I, think, uh, I, I think it's a, a good Good question, Justin. We talk a, a lot about this concept and these and these questions in the ag industry over the over the last few years. And uh, what we found is, uh, you know, the average consumer doesn't really even understand how our food chain works. And so, with the invent of the virus here, and uh, and we're getting. Uh, a very negative feel that we're maybe things are out of control in the medical world because we've outsourced that. Uh, we had the same thing that's really happened over the last 25 years uh, with our food supply. So today we want to just kind of begin educating. We've got some, a great guest with us today. But free enterprise, I've always said, works wonderful. It's the greatest system in the world. It's been the greatest system that's relieved poverty more than any other system that's ever been created. But it only works if you play by the same rules, right? So what we've had over the last few years is we've had the rules shift on us. And, uh, for example, the U.S. Uh, USDA grades all the produce that comes across the border or the produce that's here in the United States. What they don't grade is a standard of how the product is grown. So, for example, you've got a high-regulation state, maybe like a West Coast, California-type regulation. Even Florida's heavily regulated, Georgia. Um, they, those same regulations don't, may not apply to an outsourced product. Uh, the big thing is labor. Uh, the labor cost, uh, U.S. dollars, is less than a dollar an hour in, in some states or countries that are producing uh, uh, pr pr predominantly south of the border. Um, and so that creates a, an unequal playing field. And, you know, Amer we're Americans, and our, our American growers, they love to compete. They're not afraid of competing, but you've got to play by the same rules. And so it's it's uh, it's something that most consumers are not aware of. Um, so you'd be, you'd be saying, Steve, that, that – uh, a lot of our food supply is shifted down to like Mexico, uh, South America because of, not a, of, not of not an Listen, I'm, I'm living experience of this. I was on the sales desk in the mid '90s, early early '90s uh, when the first NAFTA was passed. I got to see firsthand. I was in the tomato industry. And we were the first one to take a lick on the chin. If you look at that industry uh, today compared to mid-90s, uh, it's a totally different animal. Uh, it's basically been gutted here in the southeast because the production moved down south. And for the consumer out there, when, when you understand uh, a company that supplies a, a, a big chain, for example, or a big club store where you shop, that customer, that retailer does not go to an individual farmer in most cases unless they're really big. They're going to go to a, a, a marketing type company and they're going to say, Mr. Marketing Company, we want to make sure we don't run out of tomatoes year round. So the marketing companies were kind of forced to go and shop year round as, as the production went down and outside of our country, the marketing companies still have to sell and take, make, take care of the retailer. So it's kind of a double-edged sword for a local 
grower. You've got a cost model that's less. Uh, you've got uh, even some some trade policies that are not in our favor as far as anti-dumping. There's a lot of those issues are being dealt with right now. And all of a sudden, what happens to this local guy, you know, that's, that's been in, in business for generations? He can no longer compete. And that's what's happening in a lot of our specialty crops, which we'll get into here in, in just a moment. So because of because of NAFTA several years ago, because of free trade, it's created the, that unfair advantage, if you will, for Mexican producers, South American producers to, to sure. lower the cost and, and out-compete uh, American growers. And and we've seen that volume move down there. So we can... We could feed ourselves, but because of of these policies that are in place, uh, we're we're affected by that significantly. And, and we're only talking about the overlap time, right? I mean, there are, we, we want people to be buying blueberries year round. We we love the demand for the blueberry, but when when there's overlap, that's when we get in trouble because okay, now the the, the, the say Mexico can produce into our window, well now all of a sudden the plan feels unlevel. And they're introducing products. So, so for the consumer, how how do we support local and keep our growers in business? Is we support local, right? We support we support we demand from our retailer that if it's available local, we get it local. Sure. So for consumers, let's talk about what kind of foods are impacted by that. So you've got row crops that are out there and grown in the Midwest, your wheats, your corns, your grains, and that, those commodities rely on technology and machinery. So they may not be as impacted uh, by some of the policies uh, from the government that uh, our specialty crops should be. Right. Right? That's correct. Special, big difference between specialty crop and row crop, your Midwest growers. If you study where the dollars go, uh, study where the subsidies go. Study where uh, the 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 push for exports go. It's the Midwest growers, and we, listen, we love those guys too. We love them, but it's it's a we need what they produce. But they trade on a commodity. They can store their product. Uh, specialty crop guys are are smaller. Uh, the the average farm in America today, actually, they consider a a large farm is what four hundred and forty four acres, the average size farm. These guys are smaller. They're 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 more fragile in the sense that they're not organized as well but they provide the bulk of your 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 produce uh in your produce aisle you know so you have some big corporations but the bulk of our food supply is still uh, provided by smaller growers it's a huge uh, disadvantage when that overlap when that overlap comes so you've got your midwest grain growers and then you've got specialty crop growers and i think of specialty crop is when you walk in the produce aisle when you think of the grain growers you're, you're talking the bread aisle your cereals and, your, your breads cereals your processed breads, foods correct yep. when you go to the store so there's a big big difference and uh, and and just you know just to follow up on what I was talking about, uh, you know, I think in last numbers I saw USDA were we're about thirteen billion dollars worth of imports for fresh fruits and vegetables from Mexico. If you go back to nineteen ninety five, we were below five billion dollars. So that that uh, you ask, can we grow and feed ourselves in the specialty fruit uh, fruit segment? Absolutely, we can, but we can't do it overnight because that increase, if you factor out of the population increase that increase from five to 13 to 14 is all taken out of an american grower in most cases well we want to create awareness on this show for consumers to really understand that because you know today they just go to the grocery store 
they have plentiful supplies. They can buy their fruits and vegetables. It's no longer the the seasonality of it anymore, right? Yep. So it, it used to be you couldn't buy blueberries until the summertime. You couldn't buy watermelons until the summertime. And today you have fruits and vegetables available year round. That's correct. So the consumer has just become so used to being able to go to to their local Publix or Kroger and and buy what they need when they when they want it. And uh, and you know today the the paradigm has shifted a little bit because of the the uh, scale of the coronavirus, the, you know, products are flying off the shelves and, and we should just take this moment to rethink, uh, the supply chain and rethink where things are coming from. Uh, and I think we want to drive that home with consumers. Well, I think, that, yeah. And this opens our eyes to, okay. I mean, this has never happened in my life. It never happened in America. So we're in an, un, you know, uncharted water here, but it does make you think, okay, how does our food get here and how critical is the labor and, and all that, those things? And that's what we want to focus on today. Well, we've got a special guest queued up, uh, uh, Jerome Crosby. He's a good friend of ours. And and uh, let me give his, his uh, rap list, if you will. He's a, a farmer and owner of uh, Pine Needle Farms in, in Georgia. He's the president of the Georgia Berry Exchange. Uh, he's the chairman of the Georgia Blueberry Commodity Commission, a board member of the Georgia Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association. And he's also a member of the Agricultural uh, Trade Advisory Committee uh, for Secretary Purdue. Uh, so long, long list of credentials here. And we're so happy to have Jerome uh, with us today. Uh, we've uh, we've got him joining us from, uh, from his home in Georgia. Uh, Jerome, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. And we want to get your perspective on, on what what Steve and I were talking about earlier with uh, with the market in general here with uh, fruits and vegetables, and then uh, you can boil it down to how it's immediately impacting you guys in South Georgia with the the blueberry commodity. So, Jerome, welcome to the show, and and uh, love to have your your take on what's going on today. Well, good morning, Justin and Steve. It's uh, I'm glad to be with you this morning, and and want to thank you for taking time to uh, bring this. Uh, issue we're facing to the forefront and have a discussion about it. I think we are at a critical juncture. We've always uh, tried to battle to promote our industry and find our place in the marketplace and be profitable on our farms. But, you know, the last few weeks have brought to our table a challenge that we've never faced before. And uh, I would like to key in on one of the comments that Steve made as he was describing the sourcing of food products for our country. We've seen fresh fruit and vegetables grow from the, um, you know, a $5 million number to uh, an import number. Did you say 18 million or 13 million? A billion. That was a billion import number. Yeah. 13 billion. That was in 2018, 2018 numbers. 18. So that spread uh, you know, we're trying to protect what America is able to do, which is where we are today. And, uh, you know, we woke up earlier this week concerned about getting harvest labor to local farms so that we could get through the crop. As this week has moved on and we've had the discussion about the labor force being made available to us, you and I have discussed it's become maybe something that is of national interest that the consumer needs to be made aware of that 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 five billion dollar production out there from years ago, which is more today we know, is at risk if we don't get this labor force into the southeastern United States in the next few weeks, we could see our our crops fall on the ground, 
and and it's not about the local farmer anymore. That crop is the crop that will feed this country in the weeks and months to come on the fresh uh, vegetable and fruit shelves across America for those people in Chicago and New York and, and all of the cities that don't have access to a garden. Jerome let's, Jerome, let's take a second to educate the consumers and let them know, um, you know, what the the labor situation has been over the last five and ten years. It's gone from a domestic workforce, right, and it's moved to what's called the H two A contracted workers. Uh, can you kind of elaborate and, and um, share with our listeners what the labor situation has been? And you mentioned that there's some changes that are that are going on in response to this coronavirus. What are some of those? Uh, changes and how will that impact that labor force? Yes, Justin, thank you. Uh, in in years past, farmers uh, were family-oriented and the harvesters for the uh, fruit and vegetable crops were family or were people from the local community. As uh, the demand for the product has grown, the number of farm families has declined over the last several generations. You now have larger farms producing much more volume, and therefore there was a need for outside labor. We did not have that labor pool domestically, so we had to look into a program that our government set up called H-2A that would import workers from South America on a guest visa who come into the country for six to nine months on a special permit to provide labor services for agriculture. And we depend heavily on that. And this is the time of the year that those workers are coming in to help us harvest the crops. Because of the virus issue, Customs and Borders, President Trump, all of the agencies that have oversight of that have been uh, forced to restrict the movement of those that workforce across the border. And it is creating critical mass potential. And we, we have some hard decisions to make now as a country, and it needs to be an informed decision. There is a risk with workers coming across the border to harvest our crops. However, once they are here, the consumer needs to understand that, that our farm programs uh, we receive oversight from the federal government as far as food safety with our workers. And m- many precautions are being taken to ensure that the consumer is receiving fruit and vegetables that are safe, that have, have been protected from viruses and bacteria and other issues. If we lose that workforce, our crops will fall on the ground. And in a matter of weeks and months, the American consumer will be receiving food products from south of the border where food safety sometimes is literally non-existent. And I don't mean that in a harsh term. Our government does a very good job to take care of the American consumer. But my argument is that we are be, we'll be much safer if we can bring these workers in and harvest our crops here on our soil under the supervision of our food safety programs here in America. And that is critical. And the consumer, the other, the homemaker needs to have that piece of information so they can allow our president, our congressman to get the message out that it's okay for those workers to come in. 
it is a level of risk, but it has to be an acceptable level that we're willing to take as a nation. And it's not about just a farmer in South Georgia. It's about our country. So, Jerome, as I understand it, the, the federal government's response to this is the consulate in Mexico is going to approve the uh, the workers that have gone through the program before. Is that right? So the pre-existing ones that have been in the program, have been in the country and worked, uh, they're going to continue to push those through. But it's the new applicants that they're going to put a hold on until, um, for further, until further notice. And kind of talk about, let us know, what is the, the percentage of the workers that are returning uh, versus the new ones every year? Is there a certain percentage of them that typically come back every year uh, versus new applicants that come through the system? And how is that going to impact uh, the workforce uh, here uh, domestically? Yeah, that's a great point, Justin. We have, uh, over the last 72 hours, been on numerous conference calls with Commissioner of Agriculture here in Georgia, Gary Black, and he is in constant communication with Secretary Purdue and others who have uh, provide oversight. Many of our congressional delegation have been helping. But at this time, Custom and Border and the H-2A program are saying that those workers who have been into our country in years past, they've already been interviewed, they've already been fingerprinted and documented uh and have received uh, work visas in the past, those workers will be allowed to come on through. However, the statistics indicate from the farmers that I have talked with or spoken with that 15 to 20% of the workforce is returning workers. So if we simply rely on that number, we could be 50 to 75% short of the workforce we need. So Initially, we thought, great, but when we went back and started looking at the numbers that typically return, we may be in trouble if we rely on that. That's not an absolute answer, and and this is moving so fast, and I don't want to be critical. This has happened, this movement in the last 48, 72 hours, they haven't had time to react to that response, so it, it is moving it is a sense of urgency, uh, but I think support from the consumer community to have faith and trust in our leadership, such as Secretary uh, Purdue and the President, to give them the freedom to make some of these decisions to get the workforce in here is, is critical. Uh, I think it's safe to say it's very fluid. You know, we're, we're taping this today and tomorrow things could change and hopefully they, I'm sure they're listening. Everybody's on their, on their P's and Q's right now and as, an, as, as uh, our government has really been engaged daily right on this just for the audience jerome that does not understand or maybe not familiar with h2a uh can you tell us a little bit about i mean there's a you know some people concerned about the labor and how the labor is treated but you got the industry really takes care of these workers in a big way y'all spent a tremendous amount of capital for their housing uh could you kind of go into that just just briefly uh to let everybody know these people love to come here it's a great benefit for them to come here for their families back home in Mexico, but can you uh, uh, just talk about that briefly? Yes, uh, it, it, we can get into the details of these government programs, but it's the, the, the H-2A labor force is protected by a government program that has a lot of mandates. They Barracks and or housing is provided. There are strict regulations on to the 
as far as the square footage per person, the facilities that have to be provided for them, the work hours, uh, inspections are done by the Department of Labor, both the Georgia Department of Labor, U.S. Department of Labor, to make sure that the facilities are acceptable. Transportation has to be acceptable. It's inspected by the DOT. The drivers have to be approved by the DOT. These people have to have recreational facilities. They have to have laundry facilities. They have to have time to go to town and shop. Transportation is provided to and from those places. Now, in light of the coronavirus, we're, we're putting in and having a conversation voluntarily in the agriculture community to escalate the uh, sanitary conditions and cleaning, uh, the delivery of products and food services to the people. Do you know? Maybe we don't take a busload of people into yeah, town. Same thing's happening down here. Yep. Bring it to the farm. So as you talk about fluid, we are literally having two and three and four conference calls a day with leadership from my level all the way up into Washington to say, what can we do to make sure we don't spread a virus, that we protect our country, but keep our food, uh, our food safety in place, get our crops harvested so we can feed our nation. So all hands are on deck, uh, but we don't need unintended consequences from short-sighted reactions to just say, we've got to close the border. Uh, if things like that happen, then in a matter of weeks, a food supply is affected. It's and a major ripple got, effect. Yep. Uh, we've got to have those risk assessment decisions made, and, and our government needs to be free from the consumer's criticism to make those tough decisions. And that that is a point I really want to stress. Let's trust our leadership to do the right thing, and they will. And it, it's important to note, too, to, to consumers, Jerome, the the level of care and concern that you guys have towards food safety. We have some of the best food safety procedures and policies and programs uh, anywhere in the world, right? So you guys are, are already taking uh, great steps in your operations <clears throat> to produce a great safe food for consumers. And now you guys are even taking it the next step uh, to look at the housing, uh, the transportation, like you said, and, and mitigate uh, the effects and, uh, and the risk of the virus and take care of these people, uh, promote good uh, health and hygiene. And, and they're well taken care of. So, you know, between the, the treatment of the folks and then the, the stringent food safety programs that you guys already have, it is a safe uh, process. It's a safe place for them to work, and they're all producing a safe food product for our consumers. And that's just so important for them to to know uh, all the work that's being done behind the scenes from our from farmers across the country. You know, on a humorous note, this is very serious. But people, the consumer needs to know the things we face. If if, if a worker's in my field today harvesting a crop, he can't wear jewelry. He or she can't chew gum. You know, they, we go to great extent to pro- protect the food source in our country. Steve uh, put out some information yesterday also that I think we need to point out that this virus uh, is not a foodborne virus, and that's critical. It's sourced people to people. So that gives us a little more liberty and freedom than to, to work within the food uh, sourcing program on the agricultural side and in the farms to get the food to the table. Let's understand food's not the source of the virus. It's not the carrier of the virus. 
it's people to people. So again, let's let's stay focused and and communicate good information that we do have the ability to get you food that is untainted. Well, Jerome, we want to thank you for being here. We just to summarize what we've talked about. Basically, we had a specialty crop situation that requires labor. Uh, we need the labor here. There's some um, uh, reservation right now, and the, the, our, 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 our federal officials are looking at how we can handle this labor properly. And so we want the consumer to know we need the labor. It's very critical that we have the labor here. And then on our side, there's policies and procedures and standards, and we are overboard right now on food safety. So if they were to get here, it's going to be fine. The risk is totally minimized, correct? Is that in summary? Okay. We stand a better chance of controlling risk here on our curve versus depending on some uh, a food source from across the border where our, we do not have governmental oversight to ensure that uh, risk mitigation. Jerome, I want to uh, wrap this up with, uh, with what can our consumers take away uh, from this message, from this narrative? What can they do to help? Understand we, we can be self-sufficient with food, but our farmers need a harvest labor force. With that said, I have to ask and plead with my fellow Americans and the consumers in the large cities to take time to reach out for your congressional delegation, call your congressman and let them know that you prefer to have your food from America harvested here in America under an American food safety program and give Secretary Purdue and the president and their team permission to allow that workforce to come harvest our food crop that'll be on our table for the months to come in this year until we get through this crisis. Fair enough. Well, Jerome, thanks again for coming. I want to thank you personally and every farmer that's listening to this, uh, not only for what you do for producing the food we need to, to sustain ourselves, but uh, I mentioned to you yesterday, Jerome, when we were talking about this podcast, if we lose Jerome Crosby, who's a leader in your community in a small rural community in South Georgia. And there's, there's millions of Jerome Crosby's out there that are feeding our nation. If we lose you, we've lost the heart and soul of America. And we thank you for what you're doing. And uh, here at Highland, we are putting every ounce of energy we have into products to help get into this new world of data, to help protect your, your, your investment there on that farm. And we are grateful to, to know you, and we're grateful for what you do. All we can say is thank you. And for the consumer, we say when you get a chance, if you find one of these farmers, only about 2% of our nation does the farming for us and feeds us every day. And uh, just if you find one, make sure you thank, you're, you thank them for what they do. So, Jerome, thanks again. And uh, thank you. God bless you. And uh, we're going to get through this. We're Americans. We're excited about uh, what the future holds. Uh, we're going to be a better nation because of it. My pleasure. It's an honor to be here with you, Steve. Thank you for what you did. Yes, sir. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast has been a presentation of Has Media, copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Be sure to follow us on social media on Instagram and Facebook at Highland Ag Solutions and catch the video presentation of this podcast on our YouTube channel.